0: Welcome to Legendary Talks, a My Spring Harvest podcast bringing you the best sermons, Bible studies and seminars from over the decades. Today, we're hearing from Jeff Lucas. He's sharing on what it means to be a game changer for God, back at Spring Harvest 2016.
1: Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's a sad fact. It's happening more and more to me these days as I hurtle at hyperspeed towards a birthday that includes the number six. As I get older, my wife is more frequently mistaken for my daughter. This thrills me beyond belief, especially when she does not deny that she's not. Now, please don't get the wrong idea. I'm not demeaning getting older. The Bible celebrates and honors the elderly in a way that often we do not. But getting older, frankly, is challenging. A few months ago, I was passing a clothing store normally frequented by younger people. I saw a shirt in the window that I felt led to purchase. I opened the door of the clothing shop and the nine-year-old behind the counter (laughs) looked at me, ladies and gentlemen. He said, hello, sir. Looking for something a bit more trendy, are we? But a few weeks ago, I passed an even worse milestone. I was on a crowded London underground carriage, staring into the armpits of a fellow passenger. When suddenly a rather beautiful lady sitting down, I'm standing there strap-hanging, and this lady looked up at me and smiled warmly. And then, to my abject horror, she offered me her seat. I was stunned. I looked around to see if I could find the frail 80-year-old who was surely standing behind me. But there was none. I'm thinking, it can't be me. But it was me. And she insisted, I refused. She insisted, I refused. And at last I sat down, feeling 180. It can't be me. As Jesus gathers his team, as he says to them things like, come and see and, and follow me. I wonder if these chaps thought, me? Is it, is it really me that can be a game changer? And I believe that it's possible to particularly feel like that, even at a fabulous event like Spring Harvest. You look around, don't you, and everybody else. And you think they're, they're more spiritual than me, they're, they're more godly. In your chalet, you end the day, if you're a family person, with your children having a fist fight over the Nintendo DS. But in the chalet next to you, there's a family and they end their day by lighting a candle and singing Kumbaya. <laughs> you hate them. You want to burn their chalet down but you think they're the game changers or there's that chap in your group from your church who wears bicycle clips (laughs) all the time and he is disgustingly, unnervingly certain about his faith and there's you who became an atheist in a traffic jam between Taunton and Minehead (laughs) and you think he's a game changer. There's that lady at the back there. She is so into worship, she had her hands stuck up in the air during the announcements. (laughs) She's a game changer. And it's not helped, ladies and gentlemen, is it? By By the human propensity to count ourselves in when there's news of judgment and out when there's news of blessing. If I came here today and I said while coming on the train to Spring Harvest today, the Lord spoke to me and told me that there is someone here tonight who is guilty of great naughtiness. (laughs) I mean, I wish you could see your faces. Some of you, you, you know it's only an illustration in your docking. You think, it's me, it's me, it's me. But if I came here and I said during my... Railway journey today The Lord spoke to me and said there's someone here And he wants you to know that you are the apple of his eye He is thrilled with you You'd be looking around going Oh, who's that then? (laughs) Thank you, Dad (laughs) In this story which is an episode where game changers in the making are surprised to discover that it's them. They get focus. They figure out where they are and where they'll be. John the Baptist repeats his affirmation about Jesus being the Lamb of God. And and then two of John's disciples, Andrew and most probably John the Beloved, they were part of John's team and now... They join Jesus' team. More of that later. And the Jesus team rapidly expands because Peter, Andrew's brother, joins. And then Philip and Nathaniel, probably later known as Bartholomew. Game changers. Ordinary people like us. So what can we learn as we dig deeper into this story and share this next four hours together tonight? Just kidding. A spirit of fear just came upon the house. The first thing is this the first thing is that we're people of the big story. We are people of the big story. There is a lamb and there is a ladder in this story. There is a lamb, verse 36. When he saw Jesus, when John saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Now, the moment John made that prophetic declaration, There was an immediate connection with this concept of the lamb in the Old Testament. The Jewish mind would quickly go back to Genesis chapter 22. The lamb that was provided for the sacrifice that Abraham made. The the Jewish mind would immediately go back to Exodus. To the Passover lamb. and, And to the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 53. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. You see, as John says... He's the Lamb, immediately there is a downloading and an affirmation of the big story of God. John is saying, look, the story is now continuing. Not only is there a Lamb, but there's a ladder as well. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Verse 51, he then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That immediately took Nathanael 2,000 years back to Genesis chapter 28, where Jacob, that man in whom there was a lot of guile, who became known as Israel, where he's 47 miles out in the wilderness, and God gives him a vision of angels descending and ascending On a ladder. And so when Jesus talks about an Israelite in whom there is no guile and speaks about angels descending and ascending, once again to the Jewish mind, it is like the story is continuing. Verse 12, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are nothing less than a community of the big story. And the big story is continuing. Philip Yancey in his customarily brilliant book, Vanishing Grace, he says if you wanna summarize the overriding theme of the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, if you wanna sum it up in one sentence, it goes like this, God gets his family back. In the Garden of Eden, there's a family in the book of Revelation, there's a family marching into eternity. It's all not just about individual game changers. That's why it's so wonderful to be at Spring Harvest, which for so many years, since its exception, has believed in the local church. We believe in the local church because game changers don't just emerge in isolation as superheroes, as individuals, but in the community of God. A survey was recently taken asking people, what is the favorite sentence that you most love to hear? One lady responded and said, I know my favorite sentence that I really enjoy hearing. It goes like this, have you lost weight? (laughs) The number one favorite sentence, perhaps predictably, was I love you. The number two favorite sentence was I forgive you. And the number three favorite sentence is, Supper's ready. <laughs> Take a snapshot of the survey results, and you've got something of the gospel. God's saying, I love you. God's saying, I forgive you. And now God's saying, Now draw up a chair at the table of the community of God because supper is ready. The big story continues. One of the reasons I continue to believe in this ministry of Spring Harvest is because when I come here today and we sing our songs and we pray our prayers and we open the book, I remember who I am as a participant in the big story. I don't often lose my faith. I just mislay it occasionally. Can anyone identify with that? Raise your hand if you can. Most of us. Raise your hand if you never raise your hand, whatever the preacher asks you to raise your hand for. (laughs) When I come to something like this, I remember, I reboot my heart and mind. I've got a demon-possessed computer back in Colorado. It is an evil thing. And I had a friend from England staying in our home recently. He doesn't know anything about computers. He's a Luddite when it comes to computers. He has a computer driven by four donkeys walking in a circle. I'm sitting in front of my computer and it's not working, and I'm muttering and murmuring words like, Praise the Lord. And my Luddite friend, he said, he said, excuse me. He said, why don't you turn it off and turn it back on again? I said, away with you, Luddite. Go, hence, and feed your donkeys. (laughs) He went out for a cup of tea, and I thought, I think I'll just turn the computer off. Turn it back on again. And behold, (laughs) in the passing of the moment, it worked. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what happens to me, and I can get really passionate about this, because when we get together and we sing our songs and we pray our prayers, something is rebooted in me, and I remember who I am. In the film The Lion King, how many of you have seen The Lion King? Scar is challenged by little Simba. It's the Lion King, by the way. Some of you are looking a bit confused. It's not a Bible story. Some of you are going, is that in Genesis? The evil Scar is challenged by little Simba, the son of the good King Mufasa who has passed away. And Simba is scared And there comes a moment in the movie, ladies and gentlemen, when Mufasa appears and speaks to Simba. I can't really do it, but I'm going to do my best. And Mufasa says, Simba, you are my son. You are my son. You have forgotten who you are. I was practicing that all last night. Our neighbors were worried. (laughs) Honest. And suddenly, as Simba remembers who he is, he is able to go back and fight. You see, over the years, serving at Spring Harvest, I've met people, they've said, what were you doing that for? Why you go away for a week and jump up and down and sing? And Why don't you stay at the coalface of social engagement at the, and, and don't mess with all that event stuff? They couldn't be more wrong. Because throughout Scripture, God commands disruptive festivals that His people will gather to so that they will remember who they are. I said it years ago at Spring Harvest God wants us to remember feasts and festivals. Forgive me for saying so, but circumcision. I'm unsure as to why that is particularly amusing. And I'm rather certain it was not amusing for the chaps. I mean, can you imagine Joshua chapter 5? Joshua pops up and says, Hello, boys. God has spoken to me. They're probably going, Oh, no. He says, About a word from the Lord, I'm going to circumcise you all. Now, if I'd have been there, I'd have complained. I said, Excuse me, the chronology of this is rather out of order because anaesthetic has not been invented yet. And Joshua would have said, Jeffrey, you don't understand. This is a sign of covenant. It reminds you who you are. And we're going to shout at the walls. I said, you bet your life we're going to shout. It's going to be out or something like it in Hebrew. I'd have said, I said, why can't we just have badges? You know, honk if you're a happy Hebrew, something like that. that's why when we go home we need to go back to our churches grab people by the throat <laughs> figuratively speaking and say come to spring harvest next year and we're not just going to jump up and down and sing some songs and have a nice time but we gather together to celebrate the covenant of god who is always faithful but we evaluate how are we doing with our end of the bargain this is a story about the big story and about identity secondly it's a story that shows us that we're all called to purpose and potential we're all called to purpose and potential verse 37 when the two disciples heard him say this they followed jesus turning around jesus saw them following and asked what do you want and then later on jesus looked at peter and said you are simon son of john you will be called cephas you see in this story Jesus effectively says two things. He says, come and see. And he says, you will be. You're invited to participate. And you're invited to change. And my, how they change. John, the son of thunder, who wanted to nuke a village. Shall we call down fire from heaven on them, Lord? Becomes the beloved disciple. I think sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we can forget that we are not sentenced to sameness. Does anyone remember Popeye the Sailor Man? Popeye the Sailor Man. I never understood Popeye because he really fancied that olive oil. I'm sorry. Probably attraction towards cartoon character is somewhat abnormal. But I never thought she was cute. Popeye the sailor man used to sing a song. He'd say, I am what I am. And that's all I am. I'm Popeye the sailor man. But here in this story, Jesus is inviting his disciples not only to see things, but to become other than they are. Sir, madam, where have you and I decided that we're not going to change Where have we surrendered to sameness? Because the invitation is to transformation. Uh, Of course, there's a question in the story as well. Jesus says to these guys, what do you want? Now there's an immediate application of that. You were saying, what do you want? But theologians agree there's a wider application because if we're going to come and see And if we're going to become all that God wants us to be, we've got to all of us ask the question or answer it. What do I want? All of us. And I want to say tonight that I believe that the world is being changed by ordinary people. God only uses ordinary people because nothing else is available. Ordinary people who don't go rushing away from Christian events believing that everything is awesome. I'm sorry, Lego got it wrong. Everything isn't awesome. There are boring bits of life. I didn't wake up this morning in Chichester, do a triple backflip out of bed, catching my tambourine as I flew through the air. I landed in my cowboy boots and the angel Gabriel said, Gee, I worry that sometimes we paint the Christian life as being endlessly awesome. A lot of boring bits. There's a lot of bits when you don't know where God's gone. There's some incredibly faithful people in this place tonight and watching in chalets. You haven't heard from him for a while, have you? But you're still trusting him, God bless you. There are others of you who have heard the magnificent, spectacular stories of healing and we believe that God still heals today. But you continue to navigate through that cancer. Sometimes the greatest faith is found not in the prayer meeting, but in the oncology ward. Everything isn't awesome, but ordinary people, every one of us can change the world. Years ago, a chap, you'll know his name, many of you, called Mark Green came to Spring Harvest. Mark Green was sporting a badge. I've never liked Christian badges. I used to have one when I was a brand new Christian. It said something subtle like, hello, you're going to help. (laughs) I had so many fishes on the back of my car, it looked like a mobile aquarium. So, when Mark showed up wearing this badge and it said on it FTCW, I thought, what is going on? But the letters stood for full time Christian worker. Mark was prophesying to us that every one of us, wherever we are, are called to full time service. And involvement we're called to purpose and potential thirdly the story here tells us that we live in glorious and sometimes challenging diversity glorious and sometimes challenging diversity look at verse 44 Philip like Andrew and Peter was from the ty- the town of Bethsaida Philip found Nathaniel and told him we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph Nazareth Can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked. You see, Nathanael was from Cana, which is in Galilee. But even fellow Galileans despised Nazareth. So you've got conflict potential. Jesus' team came from opposite ends, some of them of the political spectrum. You've got Matthew, one of the hated tax collectors, serving alongside Simon of the Zealot who previously would like to have stuck a dagger in the shoulders of Matthew some of these 12 have Hebrew and Aramaic names Philip and Andrew have Greek names reflecting the broad cultural spectrum I thank God that the church is diverse and sometimes I believe that we can hurt people as we wrestle with diversity We think our way is the best way. And one of the first lessons that Spring Harvest taught me was that the way that my denomination, my church, did it was not the only way. Trouble is, I didn't really always learn. Like last year. I went to a Christmas Eve service. I won't say which denomination it was, because there are lots of Anglicans here and I love the Anglican Church in fact if I was starting all over again I'd I'd join I'd join my friend Pete Broadbent years ago gave me common worship I love the liturgy because it helps me when life takes my words away and renders me speechless and I don't do it every day I could give you that impression by saying no more but it's not true so I might as well tell the truth and I like using common worship in fact sometimes I do both bits the Lord be with you Also with you. It's all right. I do it in different voices, so it's okay. So I love the Anglican church, but I went to this Christmas Eve service, and the vicar is an ex-rocker. He used to play in a rock band. And he's a really decent bloke. But when he does his vicaring, to use a theological term, something happens to him. And so suddenly, he started to speak in... This kind of voice and I knew that that was not his voice and then it got worse because he started to talk in a particular monotone way and then went down at the end of every sentence <clears throat> and I thought why don't you just talk in your normal voice and not bother to go down at the end of every sentence and I was sitting there, my charismatic evangelical hackles bristling. And I thought, I know what's coming now. <clears throat> it's the sermon. It will be 12 minutes of meaningless drivel. Lean forward slightly, lean forward, lean forward slightly. Some of you are going, I will not lean, f-. lean forward. Slightly. It was brilliant brilliant. Here's the terrible thing I don't want to tell you. I was so disappointed. <laughs> I had to go and find him afterwards and thank him for his message. By the way, I didn't say, oh, I, I, I hated you for most of that service. But you've ever met Christians like that, they come up to you and they say, I've got to confess it. I've hated you for years. Will you forgive me? And you think, yes, will you forgive me? (laughs) And I share my embarrassing story because sometimes arrogance can make us dismissive of the diversity of others. Have we done that? Are there people here tonight who have been hurt because diversity has not been celebrated? You've been overlooked. Many years ago, the late, great Rob Lacey, mainly through the ministry of Spring Harvest, reminded the church in Britain of our need to embrace creativity.
0: We just want to take a quick break to talk to you about Spring Harvest. If you're enjoying this podcast, you should definitely join us at Minehead or Skegness this Easter. It's five days full of inspiring talks, heartfelt worship, and family fun. On top of an amazing program of sessions, it's hosted at Butlins, so you'll get access to the swimming pool, fun fair, play parks and so much more. It's great for all ages, a place where the whole church comes together at the pinnacle of the Christian calendar. So take time out, find space to hear from God and feel refreshed and equipped to live the life he's calling you to. Find out more including dates and prices at springharvest.org. Uh, I had people coming up to me, they said, where's all that creativity
1: found in the Bible then? I said, well, why don't we, without sounding like Julie Andrews, let's start at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created. But there are artists and dancers and poets here tonight. And you have been wounded because your church only recognizes words. I'm sorry. There are people here tonight who are wounded because you've served continuously. And no one says thank you. There are leaders here tonight. And you're wounded because no one ever says thank you. They've been told that if they encourage you, you might get proud. (laughs) Sometimes preachers perpetuate that idea. You haven't met a speaker like that. You go up to the preacher or speaker or minister or leader, whoever she or he is, and you say, thanks for that talk, that sermon. And they go, no, 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 no. It makes you ill, doesn't it? A lady went up to her minister in one church. She said, Thanks for that sermon this morning. It was really good. He went, No, no, no. She said, Well, actually, it weren't that good. (laughs) Have you served and you've not been appreciated? Have you been used? Have you been mistreated? Do not miss that in this story, Jesus' team is expanding and John's is diminishing. He loses two of his key men. In the pain of transition, he had to be magnanimous. Have you been hurt? I'm sorry. And I pray that you will find strength and grace to move on. Well, the last thing I want to say, fourthly, preachers always say that, don't they? We always say, and now in conclusion, we do that to give you hope. (laughs) The last thing is that we're called to introduce people to Jesus. We're called to introduce people to Jesus. This is a story about the big story. It's a story about all of us being called to purpose and potential, living in glorious and sometimes challenging diversity. But it's also about introducing people to Jesus. Look at verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, Then he brought him to Jesus. Here's a question. Whatever happened to evangelism? When I became a Christian at the age of 17... In 1864, we automatically told people about Jesus. In fact, we were, we were horrifyingly enthusiastic. We would twist every conversation around to Jesus. Hello, Jeff, would you like a cheese sandwich? No, thank you, I have the bread of life. How about you? <laughs> you wouldn't want to sit next to me on a bus... Or a plane, because I was going to get you ready with my spring-loaded journey into life. Wow. And then, because we're all pendulums, we think we're balanced, but we 're not. we're all in reaction to something. We're all in reaction to something. We lost evangelism, we lost words. And I preached it sometimes, St. Francis of Assisi. It's it's in, Gavin, it's it's in the book that you've written. St. Francis of Assisi. He said, by all means, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. And I thought, fabulous. I don't have to say anything. Forgetting that Francis of Assisi was famous, ladies and gentlemen, not only for chatting with passing squirrels, But he gave everything away. When you give everything away, you probably don't have to say too much. (laughs) Have we lost our voices? Andrew told Peter about Jesus. How else do we introduce people to Jesus? What about kindness? Simple kindness. Years ago I was doing a book tour with a man called Graham Seed. Graham is about six foot eight, ex thug. He's got muscles in places where I don't have places. He's a fearful man until he found Jesus. He's now one of the most beautiful, passionate evangelists you could ever meet. And we went to stay in this hotel. I won't say where the hotel was, in case you're from Birmingham. And it was like the Hotel California. You can check in any time you want, but you can never leave. Proverbs 11, four. I made that up. Some of you wrote that down just then. Scrub that, that out. I knew we were in trouble because the bloke behind the desk, he said, do you want an upgrade for 10 quid? I said, what do we get for an upgrade for 10 quid? He said, windows. We went to our rather unclean room, came out from our room, had a parking ticket on our windshield, decided to go to Pizza Hut. We're upset. We're fed up. It's a horrible hotel. We had pizza. We don't, I'm sorry. I hope you won't be offended. We didn't say grace. We didn't see anything. We didn't have any badges. It was winter, so we weren't even wearing sandals. There was no way people could know <laughs> that we were Christians. At the end of the meal, the waitress came up, presented the bill. She said, What are you boys doing now? You're going shopping? I said, No, we've got an event tonight. And the waitress looked at us and she said, Is it about God? And I did a quick sandal check. <laughs> and a lapel check. I was fishless. I said, Yeah, it is. How do you know? She said, oh, you were both kind to me. I have a lot of horrible people coming in here. You were kind. I thought, it must be something to do with God. Ladies and gentlemen, we can turn heads and hearts by kindness, by listening to people. Do you know how scarce being heard is these days? So much so that people are taking photographs of them eating their breakfast and posting them on Facebook. So the wondrous world can watch in awe. <laughs> Witabix. <laughs> awesome. And when you say to somebody, tell me more. When the man at the British Rail Station this morning handed me my cup of coffee, And I said to him, thank you very much, have a good day. And he smiled back and he said, sir, you have a good day and you take care of yourself, won't you? And I walked out of that coffee shop. All he said was one sentence, you take care of yourself, won't you? And it lit up my heart. Ladies and gentlemen, don't go into your workplace when you get back from spring harvest. Pull up a chair, stand on it. Do not stand on that chair and say, aye. Have been to spring harvest. (laughs) Gather round, ye unwashed. For you may sip at the reservoir of my blessing. (laughs) Some Christians say to me, I'm being persecuted at work. They don't like me. It's because of Jesus. And I look at them and I think... It's not Jesus, mate. You're in this one all by yourself. And it might be that in kindness and in listening and, not all, taking opportunity to gently and sensitively gossip the good news that we can change the game. Well, as Rachel comes back and just quietly plays for us, I want to end this by returning to this story. It was an epic day, amazing day. In a couple of days, um, they'd go to Cana And they'd watch him turn water into wine. And then they'd go on to Jerusalem at the Passover. And they'd discover that this Passover lamb could be a lion as he kicked some tables over. And then they'd wander off on a trip which would cause them to pass through Samaria. And they'd meet a woman at the well and there'd be a tender conversation. But ladies and gentlemen, none of that could have happened. None of it. If they hadn't answered the question, what do you want? What do you want? Let me tell you what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to invite some response. And I want to make this response very specific. Carry on, Rachel. Okay. Rachel's doing great. There's a bit of a problem with the sound. Pray that that uh, works out well, otherwise I shall sing to you. (laughs) By the way, can I just make a little comment, a little aside? Sometimes the only time we notice those who serve us technically and do such an amazing job. (laughs) Let me say what I'm going to say, boys. The only time we notice them is when we have a little glitch or something goes wrong. So can we break the atmosphere for a moment? Just put your hands together for those who serve us. I'm so glad this has happened because it's sort of broken the religious atmosphere a bit. Because, you know, what can happen at the end of these sort of things is the speaker does the voice and says things like, if you're here tonight. Well, you are, aren't you? I mean, yeah. Rachel is in the groove, baby! Can I say that just a little loud? <laughs> That's great. Just a little something. So in this highly non-religious atmosphere, (laughs) uh, and that's good, because we do life, actually, without backing music. So I appreciate the ministry of our worship teams and Rachel coming out to help me, but when you go back to your chalet tonight, Rachel won't be in the corner. So it's not a religious atmosphere, is it? But let's get on with it. In a moment, when we stand, if we're able, I'm going to ask people to come forward. I'm going to ask you to come forward. If it's time for you to reaffirm your identity in who you are in Christ, I'm going to ask you to come and stand or kneel here. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and stand here if there's a need for you to commit yourself again to that local church realising that game chang- changes need community we're in this together in a moment I'm going to ask you to come forward if you've been hurt and you want God's help and healing for that I'm going to ask you to come forward if you've hurt and it's time to change that attitude because you go to church looking to be offended you're offended if you don't get offended I'm going to ask you to come and stand here in a moment I'm going to ask you to come and stand here in a moment if you'd like to become a Christian and make that choice that changes the game ultimately You so say I don't have to go forward do I? No But events like this, when we huddle together, this can be a powerful moment of engaging with choices for God.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Legendary Talks. If you enjoyed it, make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit springharvest.org to find out more. We'd love to see you at Spring Harvest 2024.